Arteta loses his cool, Lampard's in big trouble, Serie A is back and it's FA Cup third round time. I'm Dan Burke, this is the One Football Podcast and I'm joined today by Matt Froelich. Good afternoon. And Chloe Beresford. Hello. Hello, hello. Uh, Matt, how are we doing? It's uh, two podcasts in, what, three days? We really are spoiling the listeners, aren't we? Uh, well, spoiling. We'll have to get some listener feedback on that kind of, <laughs> on that term. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I hope this long may it continue, you know, as we head into 2023. I say that, but I'm going to be off because it's my birthday next week. So <laughs> they, might, they might not get to hear my voice for a little while. But I'm delighted that we're doing it more often because there's so much football to talk about. Yeah, there's so much going on. And it seems like every night there's uh, about eight or nine games to, mm-hmm. to, to keep up with. And uh, yeah, you, you must be delighted, Chloe, because uh, you're our resident Serie A expert. Serie A's back. Stockport County in the FA Cup this weekend. So it's all, all gravy for you, isn't it? I know it is. Everything's everything's going well. We could be in the fourth round for the first time since 2001 when Matt and I discovered we were actually at the same game when Stockport County played Spurs. Mm, that's right. Yeah, yeah. And uh, what is it? Walsall this weekend at Edgeley Park? Yeah. And we actually beat them uh, on the 29th of December. So like literally last week, really. Um, so yeah, we've got a good chance, I think. Yeah. Fingers crossed for that one. Uh, we're just going to talk a little bit more about Serie A and the FA Cup later, but first we've got some uh, Premier League to discuss. So before we get into that, just a reminder uh, that our email address is podcast at onefootball.com if you want to get any questions into us. Um, now that the football's coming thick and fast, there should be plenty to talk about. Uh, the first game we're going to talk about today took place at the Emirates Stadium on Tuesday night. It was Arsenal nil, Newcastle nil. Uh, a little bit of refereeing controversy in this game, uh, at least if you're an Arsenal fan or Arsenal manager, uh, Mikel Arteta very unhappy with uh, some of the decisions said that it was it was scandalous that his team didn't get a penalty in this game uh, what do you reckon Matt should Arsenal have had one two or zero penalties in this game oh boy that's a big call I gotta say <laughs> right at the end the the handball right I can't remember who crossed it in for Arsenal the handball I as soon as I saw the replay I was like that's a penalty yeah I I, I it was one of those moments where you, as a fan who you know obviously didn't want Arsenal to score I was like oh no Ah, oh, surely not in the last minute. Um, they seem to, I don't know, is there like a time limit on how long you're supposed to check it? Because they seem to wave Very it away quick. quite quickly. Yeah, like yeah. the VAR had a look at it. Yeah, but they were just sort of like, oh, had a quick look. Yeah, no, no pen. Move on with the game, mate. And I, I don't know. I don't know about you guys, but it just, it seemed so odd that they just waved over, you know, a potential handball in the, what was it, 94th minute. Mm. I was a bit baffled by it, to be honest. Yeah, well, I was watching the game from a City perspective, obviously hoping that Arsenal would drop some points. I thought, yeah, nil-nil draw, that's not bad, I'll take that. And then my heart sank when that happened. I was like, oh God, they're getting a penalty here, aren't they? And apparently the reason for it was that it was... um, it was Jacko crossed it and Murphy, whose hand it hit, yeah. wasn't it? And he was kind of like, he, he turned his head away from the ball in the way that you naturally would. And that naturally sort of meant his arm went out. And therefore, even though it had made his arm unnaturally, his body unnaturally bigger, it, ha- it wasn't an unnatural movement of the arm, if that makes sense. That's the official reason for it, apparently. Oh. So that's why it was a, it was a bit of an open shut case from the referee's point of view. But, uh, yeah, Arteta, not happy about that at all. What did you think of the first penalty incident in this game, Chloe? Do you think that should have been one? The um, the well, Dan Byrne foul on Gabrielle, wasn't it? Yeah, no, not for me, that one. I, I think that was the correct call. I think it was the other one that was far closer, really. Um, I, th- I think the referee got that one right. And I think to say either were scandalous, I think, is uh, maybe a bit of a stretch. I think it wasn't. I think you probably... I mean... To me, uh, watching that post-match interview, it seemed like 
it was almost like he was just so annoyed that Newcastle had turned up like that and just shut them <laughs> down. And, and he was saying scandalous because how dare they do that to us kind of thing. And that mm. he was just generally frustrated, it seemed like to me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, a very emotional game for Arteta on the touchline, doing his best there. Basil Faulty impression at times, it seems. What did you what did you make of that, Matt? Was it um is it sort of passion for the game and we we shouldn't shouldn't be uh, you know, poo-pooing that and taking it out of the game, or did, did he go a little bit too far? Does, does that kind of behaviour need to be stamped out a little bit? Uh yeah, when it's directed towards the referees and the fourth official, and there was even a bit of um uh, some arguments. I thought it was going to spill over at the, fo- the full-time whistle with Eddie Howe, but he kind of maintained his composure, Arteta, considering like 10 seconds before he was doing his nutting. <laughs> I I like the passion, right? When, I don't know, it's something exciting to watch and you get a manager jumping around like Jose Mourinho at Old Trafford, right, with Porto, like all those years ago. Mm. Neil Slide, last-minute winner, great. If you're just going to go nuts and scream at the referee for 10, 20 minutes, it's kind of like, all right, give over, mate. Like, come on, it's obvious that, you know, you're annoyed you haven't got a decision, fair enough. And you could be like, ah, oh, what the hell? And you can ask him once, like, hey, why wasn't that a decision? But to just berate him constantly, it really, it's just not really good. Look, I'm, I'm a, a huge, uh, I was trying to think of the word for not a fan, anti-fan <laughs> of Jurgen Klopp, right? Because Klopp does it. And he complains and he whines and he, you know, he's a big guy as well. And he screams furiously at the fourth official. I'm like, my God, man, someone's just shown up tonight for their job and you're just going to absolutely bollock them and embarrass them in front of everyone. Like, it's really embarrassing. And I think Arteta, there's a, there's a discussion about it personally, I think, because Arteta and the Arsenal way and the Arsenal style of football is supposed to be beautiful, pretty, you know, very nice football. And it is. And I think we then don't necessarily associate their manager with being a bit of a twat on the sideline. <laughs> like if, if someone had, if Sean Dyche was screaming at someone on the touchline, you'd be like, yeah, big Ming in football, big Ming in Sean Dyche. <laughs> like you'd accept it. But but because it's Mikel Arteta, people are like, oh, well, did he, you know, did, does he have a right? And it's like, no, I know he's very handsome and I know his team <laughs> play lovely football, but it doesn't mean that you can shout at people on the sideline. So yeah, I would, um, I'm surprised he didn't get booked. Uh, to be honest with you, yeah. or even sent off at some point. Well, Arsene Wenger was not adverse to a, uh, a dig at the referee from time to time, was he? You know, Sir Alex Ferguson as well. Uh, Pep Guardiola does it all the time. You know, is it a bit of an occupational hazard, yeah, do you think, true. Chloe, for these uh, these managers of the top teams who were fighting for titles? Did it come? Is it a sign of the kind of pressure of the job that you're under that you, you kind of lose your call cool on the touchline sometimes? Yeah, and I think maybe sometimes it's to gain a bit of a sporting advantage, isn't it? They, they kind of, they do it to impose themselves and I I guess maybe that's where it's a little bit unfair because if you're just an average dude being being the fourth official nobody knows your name or who you are and somebody like Arteta or Klopp is kind of um, screaming in your face it's quite intimidating and I think the managers know that that they have big stature because of who they are Um, so to kind of use that against someone to gain that sporting advantage is, is maybe a little bit unfair but it's going to happen whatever isn't it when there's so much at stake and and uh, like you say that the emotions are running so high it, it, it's it's always going to happen it's always mm. always going to happen I know uh, like in other sports they're very less tolerant about abuse of the referee but uh, in football it's 
it's just it's just part of it. Yep. We're going to come back to uh, abuse of the referees a little bit later on in the show. Uh, first, Matt, I just want to get your take on Newcastle's performance in this game and more their approach to the game, really. I mean, Arteta, as Chloe alluded to earlier, not very happy with the, the way that they um, approach the game, a bit of time wasting going on, um, that kind of thing. We talked a bit about it the other day, about how Everton played it at Manchester City last week. Was were Newcastle, was it a bit of smart gamesmanship from them here or did they go a bit too far, do you think? I didn't think it was an extreme case. I know I said I don't like time wasting and I don't. Mm. Um, I think there was the normal amount that you'd expect from Newcastle trying to get a point away at Arsenal. And of course, Arteta, you know, really annoyed about it because he wanted to win, which is understandable. Um, his actions weren't understandable, but him wanting to win is. I guess it was the to-be-expected amount, if that mm. was at all quantifiable in the realms <laughs> of football. Like, that, you know, it was a little bit to be expected. There was a bit of play acting. It was rather annoying, but it certainly wasn't, it wasn't as bad as their performance at Liverpool earlier in the season mm. at Anfield, right? That was, that was embarrassing. And I think during the course of the game, Newcastle had some spells where you thought, you know, they're actually going forward. They're going for it. They weren't completely uh, overwhelmed. And I thought maybe it crept in towards the 70th, 80th minute. They thought, you know what? We've given them a good go. We'll settle for our clean sheet. Especially the more uh, saves that Nick Pope was making, the more pressure they were coming under, they sort of decided right now we're going to accept the point. Whereas I feel like when they went to Liverpool or a few other teams, they kind of accept the point from the first minute. Mm. And that's a that's a bit shit, to be honest. But I thought in general, um, I, I've, I've got Newcastle players in my fancy Premier League team. And for <laughs> very good reason. Because yeah. I can always count on them for some clean sheets. So... Um, <laughs> Yeah, no, I think that was definitely the game plan. There you go. And a point at home to Newcastle is uh, is no longer such a disappointing result, really, for, for Arsenal, especially if uh, yeah, exactly. If Manchester City drop points again tonight. We'll, uh, we'll see how that one goes. Uh, moving on now to another game which took place on Tuesday night. Everton losing 4-1 at home to Brighton. Pretty dismal performance from Everton, I think it's fair to say. Uh, was it typical Everton, Chloe, after the heroic display to get that point at City at the at the weekend to then go and lose at home to Brighton in this fashion? I guess their fans would say so. Um, I think, you know, <laughs> you can always kind of raise your raise your game for um, against somebody big. It, it's almost like when you're struggling, it's almost becomes like a cup tie, doesn't it, where you can really, mm. uh, I guess Lampard for me is more of a, motivational manager than a, a really astute tactician if I'm kind of being kind and I think that if you're that guy you probably can raise your raise your players and 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 get them up for it against City but then you come up against Brighton and um you know Deserby is a, a really smart he is a tactician he's a really smart coach and you, you you know you can't you can't get yourselves up for it in the in the same way as you did against a really big team and then it exposes really the state of how things actually are yeah i'm sure we've all seen that tweet that uh, that viral tweet that was going around about someone said that they uh, i'm not saying everton were bad tonight but i left the game um, before full time and my Uber driver back into town was also at the game <laughs> someone else said they, they, <laughs> they, they, they they stayed until full time to beat the traffic, <laughs> which uh, you don't uh, hear, hear about football matches very often. Um, where, where are we at with Frank Lampard? Do you think, Matt, is, it, is this um, the final nail in the coffin for him? Are you surprised that he's not been sacked yet? Is it time for him to go? And uh, and if he does go, who should ever to be looking at to, to replace him? Yeah, this is really odd because I feel like they had a point 
where they put together a few half decent performances. And I remember thinking, oh, okay, maybe Lampard's turned a corner or maybe he's going to, you know, get things moving again. I think they won four of their last eight at the back end of last season to stay out. Um, and let's be honest, it couldn't have got much worse than last season, but it genuinely looks like that's how it's going to be. I can't imagine. Everton, the board settling for another relegation fight. Like if you said to them now, it's going to be absolute tripe for the next six months and you and Lampard are going to escape by one point on the last day and finish 17th. It's still not good enough. It's it's still not good enough and there's no way of turning it around at the minute. I think the problem is everyone's entering a phase of do we stick or twist now? Mm. Because now you've got plenty of time for a new manager to get a run together. Obviously, later on in the season, they don't have so much time to turn it around. But is anyone going to be given a chance? Like, is any sort of uh, quote-unquote project manager going to be given a chance <laughs> to achieve anything at Everton? Or is it going to be, here's our project, we failed, crap, let's get Big Sam in to save us from relegation, <laughs> or whoever, not Big Sam. Um, he saves them for relegation. He can't take him much further. And then they get a project manager and it's the same thing. Like, you know, the same thing's happening with Nathan Jones at Southampton. Four mm. losses on the spin. And if you're going to sack him, well, then you shouldn't have gone for a young project guy in the first place. <laughs> so I, I really, yeah, I, I think we discussed this before. Like, what is the actual end game for many of these mid-table clubs? That um, I can't see them stick with Lampard, but as for a replacement, I've not a clue. They've tried everyone, right? They've tried everyone <laughs> from Ancelotti. <laughs> one of the most experienced and best managers in the world to Frank Lampard, one of the least experienced in the world, and nothing's worked. They've literally gone full spectrum to spectrum and, and nothing's worked. So, yeah, it's it's, it's past me. It's beyond me as, yeah. as to who they'll hire next. Maybe what I've fo- got a chance. <laughs> what a football club, eh? <laughs> uh, the most entertaining football club in the world to everyone yeah. except their own fans, the team that they're yeah. supposed to be entertaining, which is... Uh, yeah. Yeah. Great, great value. Yeah, Chloe, I'm not I'm, even kidding. I'm, <laughs> I, I, I'm not even kidding. I actually watch the highlights of Everton volume loud just to hear the booze. There's a sick part of me that just wants to hear how loud it can get through the TV. And I'm like, oh shit, that was loud. They're yeah. booing. It's only half time and they're fucking booing. Yeah, I just, I'm, I'm a sucker for it. Yeah. Yeah, Chloe, I've seen um, Sean Dyche mentioned as a potential Lampard successor, Roberto Martinez back as well. Any of those two, do you think, would would do a job? Do, do you think Everton actually have a decent enough squad that a, a better manager would get a tune out of? Well, I think, as, as Matt really alluded to, I think the, the problems at Everton are, are kind of deep, aren't they? They, they? they lurch from manager to manager, totally different styles. There's no... Um, and then they go and sign a load of players for that particular manager, and then those don't suit the next manager. And, you know, obviously, I, I don't rate Frank Lampard personally, but... It isn't all his fault because of the way that the club's being run. Um, I guess at this point, if you're wanting to get the most out of the squad that is there, someone like Sean Dyche probably could come in and do that and can probably lift them to maybe a bit more towards mid-table. But they need to get more of a long-term strategy in place and decide Mm. what they actually want to do because it's just throwing good money after bad all the time and um yeah it, it once you get to this point it's hard to to unpick it or or sort it out because it is such a mess yeah and it, it seems that the decision falls to the uh Farhad Mashiri the majority shareholder I think he is and apparently he's not even been to a game for nearly a year now so it's uh the club is in in dire straits yeah I mean the, the, you, you'd sort of think Sean Dykes would probably go in and, and do a job there but that's kind of like 
you know, they weren't happy with Sam Allardyce and he went in and did a job there. And it seems like a kind of updated version of that to me, really. I don't, I don't really know what uh, what they want or what they need. Um, you mentioned earlier about uh, Roberto Di Zerbi, Chloe, being a, a tactician. Uh, you'll have seen a bit of him during his time at Italy. Have you been impressed what you've seen from him at Brighton so far? Is is it similar to what he was doing with, uh, with Sassuolo? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, I think he made a decision that not a lot of young Italian managers do in the fact that he, when he was at Sassuolo, he was doing a really good job, but he could see that he wasn't going to get one of the top jobs, Milan, into one of those jobs. So he went away to Shakhtar Donetsk, um, wanted to play in the Champions League. And I think that was a really kind of brave decision. And then obviously the the war broke out. He ended up in a really terrible situation um, there. And then that's... Um, eventually how he came to Brighton and he he has got a very set philosophy um he he is I would say one of the brightest if not the brightest Italian managerial talent I think Brighton are really kind of lucky that um they've they've managed to snap him up and I think Maybe the results won't always be consistent because when you've got a philosophy, you know, there are days when everything just goes wrong. But I think it's totally opposite to to Everton. At least they've got a very set direction that they're going in. He knows exactly the kind of players that he needs to make that system work. Um, And yeah, more, more exciting attacking football for them, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of exciting attacking football, we saw a bit of that from Spurs on Wednesday night, winning 4-0 away at Crystal Palace, putting their bad run of form behind the mat. Um, is is it business as, is it sort of business as usual for Spurs back in business? Um, how important was, was scoring the first goal to them in this game as well? Because that was obviously a run that we talked about, that 10 games considered the first goal. They finally got their nose in front. Is that a, was that a big big factor in this this result? Well, to, to score first, yeah, because in general, just gives you confidence in the game. But certainly after that horrific run, oh my gosh, what was that, uh, 10 games conceding the first goal? Like I, In the first half, I thought it was going to happen again and Spurs would have to fight their way back. Afterwards, I was I was blown away. <laughs> it, it, you know what's annoying is that you know Spurs are capable of it. When you see that result and you see the goals that were scored, especially Harry Kane's, you see that someone's on the score sheet. If you'd have plucked that result out of... Uh, any other season in the past few years, you'd be like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Spurs are a good side, went to Palace, maybe scored a few more than they should have. 1-4-0, Kane's on the score sheet. It, it feels quite like that. that's not out the realm of possibility, but when you compare it to what we've seen from Spurs in the last few weeks, it's a world away from all that crap. And yeah, like you said, in the space of uh, a few days, suddenly everything looks a bit brighter and mm. I'm not sitting there cussing out Tottenham. <laughs> Yeah, it was uh, it was funny to see uh, Matt Doherty laughing when he scored. I think he made it three 0 didn't he? Um, that was just like a bit of like, oh my god, we're, we're actually winning. This is amazing. Like, why don't we do this all the time? That, that, that's that's what it looked like. The, re- the reaction to it was, and uh, yeah, it was um, interesting to see Oliver Skip play alongside Hoiberg in midfield uh, here. Was that uh, did that give a bit more of solid base for Spurs than perhaps they've had in recent weeks as well with uh, Basuma not playing? Um... I'm not sure. Wasn't wasn't Basuma suspended? Is that why he didn't play? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, yeah. I think he was suspended. Um, I don't know where to stand with Oliver Skip. I I think he's a brilliant player. I think he showed it when he was alone at Norwich, and he mm. had so so much potential. And he got the injury last season, and it kept him out for so long. He's a really good player. There's a lot of bite and tenacity about him. I think 
you might sacrifice the quality that Basuma has. Um, and I think paired with Hoibia again, doesn't really, there's such a lack of, of, of creativity in, in that Spurs midfield. But I thought he was actually really good, Skip. Maybe a, gave away a few too many fouls. And another day, a less lenient referee would have probably double yellow cards at him in the first half. Like he was nailing everybody. Um, but yeah, I, I was pleased with him. I'm not quite sure if he's at the level yet, but I do think there's a lot of potential for him to be a brilliant footballer. I think he's mm. really, really good. Uh, and yeah, like I said, that injury just set him back so much, I think mentally as well as physically. Like it's a really tough one. But look, to go to Selhurst Park, which isn't easy, and come out with a 4-0 win with Skip starting in the field is, is pretty good going. Yeah. I saw a rumour the other day about um, Skip potentially going to Inter, actually. I don't know if there was any truth to that, but that's... Uh, that's become a bit of a well-trodden path in recent times, wow. English players going over to, to Italy. Is that a, a move you could see happening, Chloe? Yeah, it seems that Italian clubs are really quite happy. Um, there's quite a few uh, Scottish players as well that have kind of gone mm. to the likes of like maybe Bologna and, and teams like that. So, yeah, I think, did, uh, did Harry Winks go? I can't remember where. Yeah, he's at Sampdoria, but he's been yeah. injured and he hasn't even trained yet. <laughs> yeah, and it may be as well with with kind of Conte being at Spurs that that link is is there, isn't it, to his, his former club at Inter? And yeah, I think it, it's definitely something that we might see, especially as it's so difficult to get playing time in the Premier League that they might find it easier and uh, over in Italy somewhere. And, uh, and Brian Hill playing pretty well for Spurs in this game, Matt. Um, he's not had the the greatest spot start to his Spurs career since uh, since joining the club, been out on loan, come back, um, not been particularly brilliant lately, but I thought he was quite good in this game. Were you impressed with him? Do you like what you've seen from him? And do you think he's uh, he's going to blossom into a good player for Spurs eventually? So this is me being a fickle football fan. I think he's pants. I think he's absolutely <laughs> rubbish. However, he put together a good performance against Crystal Palace. I think it, it, it's, it's very odd. If he was putting in performances like that at a lower league side, right, then you'd be like, oh, it's brilliant. Yeah, he didn't do much. Yeah, he got an assist, a very nice pass to Harry Kane. Um, but yeah, you know what? He's a promising youngster. I think when he's replacing Kulazewski or Son in the Tottenham front three and the expectation is you've got to score or get an assist pretty much every game because we're going for the top four and we're playing in the Champions League knockouts. He's so he's a world away from those from that level that I think it's I I don't think he's very good because that's the difference. Now, whether or not he can make up that difference is is obviously something that we'd have no idea about. You know, that's that's mm. his potential. But I found it really interesting. Conte's comments, you know, he likened him to Bernardo Silva. Um, and if Brian Gill turns into the next Bernardo Silva, I will be delighted. <laughs> I will happily eat some humble pie. Um, it, he also mentioned the physicality, which I think is a big worry. Like I know it's nothing against small players. Plenty of small players uh, are physical and brilliant in the Premier League, but he does look quite weak. Um, I wonder whether it's a toss-up between not having anyone else to play or Conte actually has liked what he's seen in training. It's, it's just a really interesting one. Like would would Kiel get the minutes if Kulazewski wasn't there? Um, has he actually impressed in training or is Conte just... Yeah, there's, there's no one else. I, I, I don't know. I, I, I thought he was very good and I saw some promising signs. But in general, yeah. it would be mind-blowing if the second half of the season he turned into Spurs' number one choice at right wing. Like, that <laughs> would be that'd be crazy. Yeah, fair enough. And uh, what about Palace, Chloe? Uh, another defeat for them, uh, beaten quite heavily at home by Fulham this season. They've also been beaten by Nottingham Forest and Everton this season. 
they haven't really come on leaps and bounds, I think it's fair to say. There's, there's quite a talented squad at Vieira's disposal there. Some good young players, a very good young forward line. Is there a bit of a worry that maybe Vieira isn't the man to, to lead them forward? Is the jury still out on him for you? Yeah, jury's still out, I think. I don't, it, it, it's a hard one. It, it's very much a case of you don't want to get into that Everton trap of just like... <laughs> Well, he's not had he's, he's had some bad results. Let's change the manager and bring someone else. And you need a clear reason. You need a clear um, reason why a Vieira is not the guy, and b who who will succeed him. You need a succession process because otherwise, to me, I think it's probably been enough good signs to give him a bit longer. And just you know, he's 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 had a good. He's had a good grounding, hasn't he, to his managerial career. He's he's learned mm-hmm. the ropes. He's doing it properly. So, um, I th- I think for them, they've not they've not got massive ambitions, have they? So, probably best just to keep to keep him for for a bit longer and see rather than just this knee jerk. Let's spin him yeah. off and just get somebody else random in. That is exactly what we were talking about the other day, Dad. As long as Palace don't slip to Everton's level, <laughs> right? They could keep Vieira forever because they can't possibly turn around to him. They can't possibly turn around to him and say, right, mate, it's been three years, crack top six or you're out. Yeah. Like they're, they're never going to say that to him because of, <laughs> because of funding and because of how amazing the rest of the teams are in the Premier League. So as long as he doesn't drop below 15th and get them in the relegation scrap midway through the season, he's just sort of going to be there forever. Just yeah, never yeah. ending sort of 10th to 12th. Um, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Oh, could be worse. That's not a good thought could if you're a Palace fan, yeah. is it? It's like Groundhog Day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry, Palace fans. <laughs> Doomed for eternity. <laughs> uh, before we move on for the Premier League now, we have uh, a very large game coming from the Premier League this uh, uh, this evening. Uh, Chelsea taking on Manchester City at Stamford Bridge. Uh, Matt, I'm a City fan, obviously. I uh, I don't know how to feel about this game. One minute I'm feeling quite confident, one minute I'm bricking myself. How should I feel about this game, do you think? This, this is a really tough one because I think Chelsea, uh, you know, there was talk about Graham Potter maybe not getting fired, but, you know, they weren't so best pleased with this football after three defeats on the spin and now they've won a couple. I can't see City going to Stamford Bridge and winning for some reason. <laughs> so you shouldn't feel so positive. And I don't know what it is. Everything else is telling me, you know, City are a brilliant team. We know that. Yes, they're due to Everton. They're still a very good team. Um, Chelsea not playing so well at the minute, but there's something about this fixture that tells me they could, you know, Chelsea could certainly up their game. Uh, whether they'll win, I think, is a different one, but I think it's probably more likely a draw. Mm. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not really quite sure. I think every new every new week is, uh, we, we spoke about Haaland being good or bad for Man City. Every new week is like a really odd test, I think, for <laughs> Haaland. Because if, if he doesn't score, it's like, brilliant Chelsea game plan they knew what to do you know they dealt with him very well and if he does score it's like oh this kid's a joke like he's unbelievable (laughs) even you know like it it could go one of two ways and I just I don't know what to think about it like it's obvious if he scores you'll go yeah of course he did because he's Haaland he's amazing yeah but uh, there's no guarantee that that'll happen so uh, as good as he is Mm. so I, I think it's a really really odd one I seem to remember you not winning there too frequently in the last few years, right? Yeah, we won there last season, um, but the record isn't amazing there. Um, I mean, what, what's given me a bit of yeah. hope going into this game is that it's quite rare that you see back-to-back bad performances from City. They usually take a lot of 
strength from a bad performance like the against Everton last week. You know, it, it wasn't a defeat, but it felt like one. And they usually bounce back quite quickly from them and kind of rally themselves. And Guardiola tweaks a few things and really, you know, gets gets down to the the uh, the bare bones of his tactics and really sorts things out. So that's what I'm hoping for. But who do you reckon Chloe needs to win more from this game out of the two managers? Graham Potter, you know, Chelsea are down in tenth, um, really struggling. You know. I can sense the knives being sharpened for Graham Potter a little bit, um, a bit of kind of buyer's remorse there maybe from Chelsea and, uh, you know, his position might become um, a little bit uh, of a problem if they if they keep losing games. Or City, who uh, could go within five points of Arsenal if they if they uh, win tonight or would be eight points behind still if they lose. Yeah, that's a tr- it's a tricky one. Um, but I think it's probably Potter because he's fighting for his reputation. Um, it, it's mm. always the case when uh, a big club like Chelsea get somebody, get a manager in from a, a lower club. It's like, oh, well, can he do it in the big games? Can he prove himself? And, and every little mistake is analysed over and over and over. So I think for his reputation, like Pep's reputation is, is fine when you know, whatever happens against Chelsea. Um, I suppose having said that, City do need to keep in touch with Arsenal at the top, but I think even a draw or, or even a defeat tonight and and they, they're they still more than capable of, of bridging that gap. You know, um, it's I don't, I don't think it's the end of the world for City as much as it would be really disappointing. So, yeah, I think probably Potter. Um, I think that he's probably... Chelsea are probably due and he's probably due like a, a breakout moment where he, he everything clicks and he gets it right, whether that'll be tonight or not. I don't, I don't know. Mm. Yeah. It's funny. We were talking the other day, Matt, about the, um, the title race and, and where city stand within it. I was looking at the, uh, the league table from last season, actually, and city are only actually two points worse off this season than they were after 16 games of last season. Uh, they've scored 11 more goals this season, which is obviously the Harlan factor, but conceded seven more goals mm-hmm. than they had last season at this stage. So it kind of shows that they've, they've sacrificed a bit of defensive stability, um, and the Arsenal have been fantastic and have been very, very consistent. And if that consistency starts to falter for Arsenal, then, uh, then maybe City do have a way back in if they just kind of keep doing what they're doing. So, yeah, very early days in the title race, I think. I feel like it's, uh, you know, it's after Christmas, but because of this weird World Cup break, you know, we should be further along in the season than we are right now. So mm. it, it is, like Dan says, it is still really, really early. Yeah. Um, it's just a weird season. Also, just by the way, uh, I just remembered before we quit, before we quit on the Premier League, before we give up, uh, Harry Kane bagged a couple more records, which I was stunned to learn. 300 games, 198 goals is the most ever in 300 games. Two more than Alan Shearer. I did, it just randomly popped into my head a little bit yeah. earlier and I was like, oh my God, he's two away from hitting 200. So... <laughs> Uh, play. Do you, you reckon, do you reckon he'll get that record? Sure, the conversation there, because yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's got sixty. What was it two hundred sixty from Shearer? So sixty-three goals to go, and he's going to be thirty at the end of the year, at the end of the season. Even yeah, that, that's doable. It's doable. If he stays, yeah. But that's a whole other can of worms. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right, let's talk some Serie A now because that uh, returned to our lives on Wednesday with a full programme of fixtures. Uh, The big headline result from that game was Inter uh, beating Napoli, ending Napoli's long unbeaten run um, and cutting their 
lead at the top to just five points now. Um, what did you make of this result for, for Napoli, Chloe? Was it a, just a small blip or the first sign that the, the wheels are coming off and it's all going to go horribly wrong for them in the second half of the season? Well, I think on the surface of it, it's just it's just one of those things. It was a, a tough game to come back to after so long away, at, you know, at, at San Siro against Inter um, with that kind of big reputation that they'd built in the first part of the season kind of weighing heavy on them. Um, but if you kind of look a bit deeper, they had um, some warm-up games um, just before the season restarted. And I can't remember who they played, one a Spanish team and somebody else, but they lost both of those games. And then obviously they've lost this first one. Um, and if you look at Luciano Spalletti, um, the Napoli coach's record, he has this real tendency of starting off seasons like brilliantly, like racing out of the blocks, getting a big lead and then collapsing. And it, it it's happened to him at various different clubs. It happened to him when he was at Inter. It's happened to him at Roma. And it's just a, like this weird pattern. And whilst it's only one defeat and you know they've they've got some amazing players and they you know they they they've still got so much going for them it just like raised a little question mark in my head of like mm. is this happening again is is he going to start going on a slide <laughs> is it going to be a bit of an, an emotional second half of the season for Napoli as well in in kind of the same way that people are looking at Arsenal at the top of the Premier League and going oh they're going to drop points they're going to bottle it it's all going to fall apart you know is the psychological thing going to come into effect for Napoli obviously they're, they're desperate for a Scudetto it's been 33 years without one is that a, is that a big worry and, and something that the, the rest of the league is taking a bit of encouragement from? Yeah, I think so. And I think, you know, the fact that Argentina won the World Cup for the first time without Maradona and then in the same year now, Napoli could win the Scudetto for the first time since Mm. Maradona. um, All of that is kind of, it's all weighing on them. And the fact that they um, were the, they were actually the last team in Europe to be um, unbeaten in all competitions before before the break. I think that's all really weighed down on them. Um, and maybe now they've got one defeat out of the way that they'll just bounce mm. back and, um, you know, they'll be back to to how they were. But they were so, before the break, they were so kind of dominant. They were just ripping ripping into teams. And, and last night they looked a bit more scared, I would say. So, mm. yeah, it, it is a bit of a question mark, but they play again at the weekend, so maybe they'll be able to to get back on track. Yeah. And what about Inter? Obviously, they're winning this game. Eddie Dzeko uh, scored the goal, another goal for him. Um, he's got a pretty pretty decent scoring rate this season, again, for a, for a 36-year-old. But uh, Inter's form has been very up and down this season. Why do you think that that is? Um, it, it, it's really weird because they've, they've been amazing they've beaten Barcelona in the Champions League and they've been utterly dreadful uh, they were they were excellent last night um really well organized they had a, a great game plan against Napoli Jacko was just he scored obviously the only goal of the game he was like this perfect striker play where um there, there was a it was like a really kind of old-fashioned route one goal where just the cross came into the box center forward lost his marker and just tapped it home and and uh, he's just so he's just so effective and so good at that. Um, but yeah, I think if you look at again, look at Inzaghi, the coach when he was at Lazio, his results were kind of up and down a lot. Mm-hmm. And I think that is something he struggles with in terms of consistency. Um, 
but certainly from what they look like um, last night, they're, they're up for a fight. They're up to try and clo- close that gap to the top. Yeah, yeah. Milan are obviously the uh, the team in second. They beat uh, Salernitana. Uh, quite a nervy finish to their game, but uh, finished 2-1 in the end. Are they going to be Napoli's closest challengers for you still? Do, do, do you think they've got a, a good chance of retaining the Scudetto? Yeah, I think, um, you know, you've always got to go with a team who has won it last because they know how to do it. They've they've got that memory in their minds. You know, they've not had too many changes of, of personnel since then. So I think you've still, you can't, you can't write them off, um, you know, and uh, yeah, I, I I don't think there's anything massively flashy about them. Um, like you said, it was a nervy finish. I don't think there's, you know, but I think they probably just know how to get the business done and that, will serve them well as they as they try and catch Napoli. Yep. It's uh, Milan-Roma this weekend. That should be a decent game. Jose Mourinho coming up against uh, Milan. Um, and Juventus, they're in very good form as well. Uh, seven Serie A wins in a row for them now. Um, there's a lot of talk in the early part of the season about Max Allegri's uh, position, about how he'd it was a mistake that he'd come back to Juventus and uh, it was time for him to go and he was not going to sort of repeat the feats that he, that he managed in his first spell there. Does this look like he's he's turned the ship around at Juventus? Well, um, on the face of it, there's seven wins, seven clean sheets, but they played Cremonese uh, last night and Cremonese are um, winless since they got promoted last season from Serie B. This is the first time in Serie A for 24 years. Um, they, they are basically a Serie B side. Um and they were the better team. They, they were the much better team. They were very unlucky. They uh, hit the inside of the post. They had two goals ruled out for offside. Um, and Juve were minutes away from from only drawing with them. And then they got um, a free kick. And in the 91st minute, which Milik scored, uh, he's he's really good at those set pieces. And, you know, you, I guess you could say, well, that's the difference. Juve've got the best players to win the game. But this... They're still not, they're still not convincing to me. Even though they've managed to put this run together, um, they they defend too deep. They their attack doesn't really seem to work. They seem to score from moments of like set pieces or individual moments of brilliance. So yeah, um, I wouldn't put it past them to mount a title challenge. But in terms of if they face a decent side, I think they'll they'll get undone. Yeah, they had a few uh, young players in the in the lineup for that game. Fabio Moretti is one that I've heard of. Um, I'm not uh, familiar with the with the other two. To be honest with you, have you uh, have you seen what you like? Uh, have you liked what you've seen from them so far? Can you see them having a a big future? Yeah, I mean, Juve are not really well known for developing youth products, and Allegri certainly isn't a coach that really favours bringing young players through. Um, but yeah, they've had a lot of injuries and, um, you know, players returning from the World Cup and stuff like that. So they, he's kind of been forced to play them. And I think they've definitely got a future ahead of them. Um, whether that's at Juve, I don't know, because as soon as the likes of Pogba and, you know, Di Maria and um, Paredes and all those come back into the starting lineup, they, they'll be benched again. Um, but yeah, they might have a future if they take a, a slight drop down somewhere else. Yeah. 
And a, a quick word on the, on the Copa del Rey from Spain, uh, Chloe, because I know you were covering the uh, the Barcelona game. Uh, they narrowly overcame Intercity on uh, Wednesday night. In that, I mean, I must admit, I thought that was a bus company or something. I didn't realise it was a football team called Intercity until <laughs> until this season. Uh, former Barcelona uh, youth player Oriel Soldevila uh, Puig getting uh, a hat trick in that game. What happened to Barcelona here, Chloe? Because they they've named a strong team for this game and uh, very nearly were on the end of an upset. They did, and they, they took the lead. So I thought, all right, uh, you know, they took the lead very early after like four minutes. So I was like, right, business as usual. It's going to be, you know, it's going to be a cricket score here because third tier Spanish side, you know, that you've never heard of. But then this guy um, who is a former Barcelona youth product, he decides, no, no, I'm not having this. And and he gets mm-hmm. a hat trick against them <laughs> and manages to take it to extra time. So I think maybe... Um, Barcelona perhaps thought it was going to be a walk in the park and he was like super up for it, super revved up. I think he's still <laughs> about 19 or 20. Um, yeah. But yeah, it was it was a crazy story and then took it to extra time and then um, and then Ansu Fati scored in extra time and, and put Barca through. But yeah, it was certainly a scare and a, a, a one of those things that is like a real bizarre shock. Yeah. And we've got uh, Atletico Madrid taking on Barcelona in, in La Liga this weekend. Matt, are you uh, are you excited about that one? That should be a pretty spicy game. Yeah, there's always going to be uh, always going to be an interesting one. I think Atletico Madrid this season definitely not up to scratch. Um, but yeah, I, I I want there to be a bit more of a title race, to be honest, in La Liga. And I think yeah. Barcelona, um, yeah, Barcelona being up there on goal difference or whoever's decided head to head with Real Madrid makes it really exciting. Cause I think Real Madrid have got the know-how to go on like a crazy run and, you know, kind of edge themselves towards the title by the end of April, sort of mid April. So I would, I think I would like a Barcelona to someone to make the title race interesting. Cause they're going Madrid are like 11 points behind now. So yeah, yeah. nothing's really going to happen there. I think their fight is firmly focused on the top four, um, which is, it's a bit odd because obviously they're out of European football together, right? They were not even mm. in the Europa League, yeah. Um, I believe because they finished fourth. So it, it's a very odd mood at Atletico Madrid. They're in a very weird sort of space where is Simeone going to stay? What's up with Jao Felix's future? Um, they're in a very kind of weird place. Uh, so I can see Barcelona winning this one, and yeah, I just think that will make for a slightly more interesting title race, even if it is just the same two names who <laughs> majority of the time win it. Uh. For sure, yeah. Better than better than just one name streaking away with it, at least, anyway, isn't yeah, it? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, we've got the FA Cup third round uh, this year, which is one of the most iconic uh, dates in the English football calendar. I was looking at the fixtures and couldn't help feeling a little bit underwhelmed this time around, though. There's not a great deal to get excited. You know, I, I really like those kind of mismatches in the FA Cup, and there is one or two. Arsenal away at Oxford on Monday night, Tottenham against Portsmouth, but um, it's a bit meh, isn't it, really, Matt? Um. Well, it depends. I'm probably not the person to ask for that. For a Spurs fan who's watching a home to Portsmouth, it might be a bit meh. But <laughs> for a Stockport fan who's got the chance to get into the FA Cup fourth round for the first time in 22 years, it's probably yeah. really exciting. <laughs> I guess that that's probably like that's probably our big six privilege talking. Um, because I know the FA Cup third round and the FA Cup in general throws up so many interesting stories that. I don't know. I, I still quite like it. Don't get me wrong. It's not the most exciting of football league weekends. And, um, you know, I won't be sort of religiously watching every single match, but 
it is the basis for teams to kick on. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if someone like Gillingham beat Leicester because Leicester are absolutely awful. At I would because Gillingham um, are bottom of the football league, aren't they? So that would be an incredible upset. I think, they? Yeah. Oh, okay. I didn't think they were that. I didn't think they were that low. I thought they were bottom yeah. of League One. Oh, they're bottom of League Two. Oh, yeah. Stranger okay. things have okay. happened. Okay. I, I got my leagues mixed up. <laughs> it could still happen. Leicester are that bad. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just sort of looking down the list, I don't know. Can Blackpool beat Forest? There's, there's another one yeah. there. Either Burnley are on, but Burnley and Vincent Company are on a ridiculous mm. run at the minute. So them going to Bournemouth, although it's Premier League Bournemouth, you know, I would see that certainly as a game that could you know throw mm. up an interesting. It's not uh, the giant killing that really reverse. you know that we re- that we're going to talk it's about not, in years to come, is not, it? It's not the giant killing, but I mean, like, there's some exciting times for you know so many clubs. I'm I'm deliberately not naming the big clubs here. Um. <laughs> I don't, I don't know, Re- Wrexham are playing against Coventry. Who else have we got here? Sheffield Wednesday are hosting Newcastle. Like, you know, there's, there's some exciting games. So I think maybe if we, if me and you take off our top six tinted glasses, Dan, we'll probably find some <laughs> excitement in the third round. But well, I'll, uh, I'll leave all the excitement to Chloe. Yeah, let's, let's ask Chloe because... Yeah. So, so when the draw was made, Chloe, for the third round as a Stockport fan, are you are you thinking let's get a team that we might have a chance of beating and get to the fourth round, or are you saying let's get one of the big boys, let's get Manchester City at home or Manchester United at home or something? Oh, yeah, yeah. It, 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 I think when the draw is made, you're always thinking, please let it be, please let it be one of the Manchester clubs away from home, so we can, you know, have a brilliant night out or a day out, whatever. But. Um, that's always in the back of your mind, what, whatever happens. But I think to get a team that we're definitely capable of beating, as I said, we beat them um, on the 29th of December. Um, and then in the fourth round, you've got a much bigger chance so then of, of getting a big side. Um, I think as well, um, as Matt mentioned, it is important for the lower league clubs because of the money, because every Mm. step you take, there is more prize money, which to the lower clubs is like, is, is just such a big bonus. Um, so yeah, there's, there is a lot at stake for these, for the lower teams. And I kind of get it from a premier league point of view, because we've had this big break for the world cup and then it's just got started and then it stops again for the FA cup. So I get why it could be a bit frustrating from that point of view. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, for the lower clubs, it it's it's everything really. Yeah, personally, I don't know if this is controversial or not, but I think the Premier League clubs should be kept apart in the third round, and there should be um, a bit bit of seeding going on, so that yes. you do get these proper cup ties. Because you know, Man City v Chelsea on Sunday, we're playing each other tonight for a start. We play each other two times in the Premier League all already each season. It just doesn't really get the juices flowing as a cup tie for me. That until you know, like the semi finals, you might want to play Chelsea in the semi final or something. But until then, I want to be playing against a team who's a star striker as a part time bricklayer or painter and decorator or something. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but the, the the thing is, at least with that game, it's still a big game because it's two top six sides. Mm. Like. I don't want to watch Crystal Palace Southampton at the best yeah. of times. Sorry, lads. But you know what? I mean, never mind to then, like, they could have played so many other teams who would relish the opportunity to play Crystal Palace or Southampton. But the fact they're playing each other is just a bit, so I don't know, like, it's, it, the whole point is you want to see games that you don't see every week. I get that. So, you know, yeah. the Liverpool Wolves are there and it's yeah. just a bit. Man United Everton's really. a bit boring, isn't it, really, as well? Yeah, oh, mm. God, yeah. Exactly, exactly. 
Well, never mind. Uh, maybe we'll get some some nice ties in the fourth round to look forward to. Uh, let's finish today um, by touching on a story that's been doing the rounds this week. So Bundesliga referee Patrick Ittrich has suggested some rule changes. Um, very interesting um, suggestions, I would say. Some quite strange ones in there. He, he suggested four in total. We'll, uh, we'll go through them one by one and see what we think about them. So the first one, Mr. Ittrich says, for a tactical foul in midfield... A free kick should be awarded 17 metres from goal for the team uh, who have been tactically fouled. What do you reckon to that one, Chloe? Would that make any sense at all? I suppose if it's a tactical foul, it's when somebody's like on the break and you're trying to stop a team pouring forward in numbers and an attack where, you, where you've not got back quickly enough. So I suppose in that sense, it would make up for it because you then get a chance to the chance that you lost to put the ball into the box it mm. gets given back but i'm not a, i'm not a big fan of rule changes in in general i, <laughs> I don't want to see like um i don't want to see like an american style um change to football it mm. it, it just doesn't sit right i, I kind of like it the way it is <laughs> yeah i mean i feel like this one above all else Matt, would be very difficult to police like how can you officially 100% confirm that somebody has made a tactical foul as opposed to made an honest attempt to play the ball. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I was going to say that one sounds like a lot of nonsense. You can't really tell <laughs> if it's a tactical foul. Uh, is, there a, is, there, is there a gap? Is there an area that constitutes moving forward? Because if you're on the break, right, and you get fouled on the edge of your own box, do you then take it? all the way to the other end of the field to, to, to 17 meters out. doesn't seem like the same as if you're fouled in the center circle, for example. Um, also, I don't know what the deal with 17 meters is. That's so German. Firstly, <laughs> yeah. it's so German to do it in meters. Secondly, that's <laughs> such an odd number. Um, it feels like American Yeah, no, that one me. sounds like, yeah, yeah. That, that's nonsense. And, you know, I guess it would have to be an d- indirect free kick. Uh, you probably, yeah. uh, to be honest, the thing, the problem with that is the problem with introducing any more free kicks or any more advantages like that. It just leads to more diving. Mm. It leads to teams, and it, especially it leads to players seeing fouls as something that you can win. You win a foul. Yeah. I'll dive. I'll, I'll, I'll use the contact to go down. Like play on and a free kick is the consequence of a foul it's not there to be won can you imagine if you were on the edge of your box going you know what if i go down it we're going to be 17 meters out that's <laughs> yeah. a bad idea <laughs> yeah. you're just going to get so many people jumping around in their own box so yeah no that that's that's a bit of a nonsensical idea yeah, for me yeah. sorry patrick well, they get a bit worse than that, to be honest with you, because the next one is if a player goes oh, no. down injured and the physio has to come onto the pitch, uh, the player should be taken out of the game for three minutes. I mean, you shouldn't be punished for being injured, really, should you? I, I understand yeah. you want to cut down on diving and time wasting, but like again, how do you tell whether someone's injured or not properly? That's assuming that yeah, everybody that is... who goes down is cheating. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it? If you get punished That's nonsense. For it, <laughs> yeah, and and you could you you would probably see players targeting like the star man on another team a bit more. Like let's just like I don't know, stamp on his toe so it really hurts, so he has to go down. And then it, not only will he it hurt his foot, out. but he'll have to go off for three minutes. Yeah, it just 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 ridiculous. Yeah, you you imagine targeting a new player every three minutes so that basically your opponent plays the whole game with ten men. <laughs> yeah, yeah, ridiculous. Exactly. 
Now, this one is where the, the mask really slips uh, from Mr. Ittrich. He says, uh, if a player abuses or insults the referee, they should be sin bin for 10 minutes. Now, you know, we all want to see referees treated with respect and, you know, players not getting in the faces and that kind of thing. But 10 minutes, Chloe, that's a bit extreme, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I don't... I, you, you'd, you'd have somebody sat down every... You know, you could end up with eight players on the field, couldn't you? It's just... Yes, like you say, nobody wants to see anybody getting abused, but a certain amount of, I don't know, swearing or anything, it's just, it is part of the game. And 10 minutes seem, does seem really extreme. If it was like two minutes, <laughs> then you could have a better argument, but no, not for me. Yeah. that That's the thing, though. How do you define that? What's the difference between saying, ah, oh, shit, and ah, oh, gonna, you know, murder someone in your family? Yeah. Like, yeah. there's a big difference. And what, what if you get injured while swearing at the referee? Is it 13 minutes because the physios come up? <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like he's not really thought the, fundament, the fundamentals of this through, but he did say that during that 10 minutes, yeah. they could have exercises bikes on the on the side of the pitch to keep warm while they were in the sin bin. So oh, at least he's thought about a bit of sort of player welfare. <laughs> yeah, isn't that good? Yeah, yeah. Sorry, my, my tip for that is be a better referee. If you didn't make so many <laughs> terrible decisions, players yeah. would stop giving you abuse. Yeah. Well, the, the fourth one is players should be shown straight red cards for surrounding the referee and protesting decisions. Now, what my takeaway from this is that if we're going to introduce rule changes, don't let referees suggest them because there seems like a clear conflict of interest here. <laughs> referees who feel they are kind of beyond reproach and can do what they want and no one can criticise them. But, you know, players should be punished, sent off, sin bin, whatever. Yeah. We got I think Mr. Itrich is, is talking shyser, isn't he? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is just it just waffling. He sounds like a ref. He sounds like a ref that never made it, which is weird <laughs> yeah. as a ref. But he obviously he's made it as a referee. But yeah, I just I think sounds, he probably has yeah. you know ideas of going right. You're off, and you, and you get off. And he, he that's yeah. like his dream. I think he's fantasized about that many many times, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, feel, I, I feel like he probably also had his head put down the toilet at school one too many times and this is his uh you know he's he's gone through an entire refereeing <laughs> yeah. career to finally get yeah, back and this definitely. this is the the next the next level for him yeah so yeah sorry patrick itrich you are talking nonsense there <laughs> And on that note, we will end today's podcast. Thank you to everybody for listening. Thanks to Matt and Chloe for joining me and many happy returns in advance to Matt for his, his birthday on, on Monday, is it, Matt? Tuesday. Tuesday. How old are you going to be? Tuesday, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, 30. That's 30? It. Oh, oh, it's over for you, mate. Oh, yeah, only, only one-year <laughs> contracts from Chelsea now. That's it, over 30. Yeah, I'm, I'm old according to, you know, the footballing world, but I'm still, I'm still young and sprightly. Yeah. You still get about the pitch for 90 minutes. <laughs> yeah, wait till you get to, to mine and Chloe's ripe old age before you start complaining about I that know, kind I, of stuff. I, I'm, I'm the same age as Daniela De Rossi. That's how old I am. <laughs> <laughs> well, there we go. Thank you, everybody. Uh, take care. Have a nice weekend, and we'll catch you next week. Thank you.